Welcome to Triple Threat, the podcast with Jamel President, where it's good news and good vibes all the time, baby. When we left Portugal to come play with you and your system, Jamel, it was the best thing for Shane because you, you, you pushed him to do other things outside his box. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Jamel President and on Twitter at President Jamel. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast as I'll be bringing you a new interview every month. Hey, what's up, guys? Coming up next, we got Steve Harris. Uh, Steve was a great student athlete. And in our conversation, something that, that stuck out to me was you know, when most athletes uh, transition or uh, decide to change schools, it's usually because of lack of playing time or uh, not familiar with coaching styles or what have you. But uh, Steve's transition was because of education. Um, in his view, we felt education was way more important than athletics. And that's very important, which is very true as well. So um, let's hear more about Steve and talking about student athlete education and uh, just making sacrifices. Let's get into the interview. So again, you know, in our previous conversation, um, this is the Triple Threat Podcast. And what we do here is we try to educate um, potential, uh, potential student athletes and families on just how to get to the next level. And we do that by using the voices of former student athletes, um, people that transition into business, transition to successful lives after you know, their career. So thank you for coming on and, and giving us the wealth of knowledge. I'm, I'm honored to be here. Thanks for the invitation. And uh, I've, I've listened to some of the previous ones. So, uh, uh, very, very good work. So I'm excited to be uh, also a part of this. Thank you. Thank you. <clears throat> All right, Steve. So, you know, starting out, I think it's important to um, we, we, we always uh, you know, ask, uh, let the audience know where um, our guests are from, because that's that's huge in the development process of, you know, what were your um, support system, your exposure to to the game of basketball, per se. So take us back to the you know parks and rival days and where you're from. And um, tell us about that. <clears throat> well, first of all, I have to say that uh, I'm from a small town in Fountain Inn, South Carolina, which uh, is essentially part of the Greenville, Spartanburg uh, area in the upstate of South Carolina. Okay. And I was, uh, my mother had me when she was in high school. So my mother had nine other siblings. And so I lived with my mother, her siblings, and my grandparents. Uh, and uh, just a, a quick note on that. So I was uh, the youngest in the household. Mm. And so mm. by, by being the youngest, you know, I, there was a hierarchy of, of things that happened in the household. And uh, don't want to bore you with all the details, but simply put, you know, I was the last one. To, sure. to receive to receive anything right. and from from uh, from food to anything that was uh, brought into the household I was the the last person to get that right. and I will also share with you that uh, I have uncles and aunts that were very talented in high school uh, as I started to grow you know started to uh, start school myself right and uh, they're very talented. And I wanted to be a part of some of those things, specifically basketball. And so I was seven years old. I never forget this. And I wanted to play basketball because my uncles uh, played basketball with me at home and at the local park. Right. And it was time to sign up for the recreation department. And uh, they took me there and they said a seven-year-old cannot play basketball we don't have a league for a seven-year-old to play basketball so I cried and cried tried to find a way uh to play even though I was seven and I couldn't play because it was a rule right uh, the following year though um 
we pushed and I was eight and I was able to play uh, with the nine and 10 year olds. And what I recall from that was, I think I scored two or four, six points, maybe I don't remember in the entire season, mm. but I was hungry mm. even a season before that. Mm. Um, and it was because I was playing and my uncles gave me exposure to the game. Uh, it was because I was the last one to receive anything in my household. So that hunger and that edge was instilled in me just because mm. I was last mm. and mm. I didn't want to be last forever. And so I think that spearheaded a lot of hunger and desire and uh, wanting to knock down the barriers of uh, you can't do this because you're not old enough mm. and things of that nature. So uh, this is going to be a common thread throughout my life. Um, and it's and it's all the way back to someone telling me no, because I'm not at that age. Um, and so um, <clears throat> what I, you know, I, I can tell you that my uncles would take me to the park, you know, at six, seven and eight years old and, and play with me and treat me like, an adult said, if you want to play with me, you're going to right. play the game correctly. Right. And I will tell you, they wouldn't allow me to shoot the basketball. Wow. I had to play defense. Right. You know, you can hustle, you can scrap, get the loose balls, but you're not worthy enough. You haven't <clears> earned <throat> the right to shoot the ball. And I mean, again, this was some hard, tough learning, but I also think it was it was right. You know, so you got to prove it. You got to prove your worthiness. Um, you got to earn your time, earn right. your key. And you know how it was back then. Definitely. If you lost the game on the court. You, you know might how long get... it was going to be before you play again. <laughs> you might not get back on the rest of the day. Exactly. And so what happened was I was scrappy little Steve, you know, mm. I, you mm. know, I rebound and throw it back out to my uncles who, by the way, could fill it up. I right. mean, they still think they can play, but back then they could play. And so we had a name that we were playing for, you gotcha. know, Harrison at the park, you know, and we had a left-handed point guard and we had a guy down low and these guys were really good. And we had one guy who was five, seven. I think he played, he played in the military and, and even up until a couple of years, we go to the gym. I mean, they leave him alone. He'll fill it up. And so, but we all had roles right. and they were defined by the elderlies in our family because they knew that it was going to be a long time before we played again if we lost. But if I was going to be on the court with them, I had to play defense, rebound and get steals. And, and let me ask you a question. And you talk about, you know, playing with your, your uncles or whatnot. Um Transfer that to the game as far as the rec department. What type of support, you know, in the community were there? Were there like good, you know, um, good uh, just a, just the environment of the rec department? And what was their 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 role into your success of being a, a good athlete? Because, you know, they got some situations where the rec departments, like you say, I mean, some don't have programs for the ages, but some don't have programs at all because there's just no community interest. How, how important was the rec department programs allowing you to exercise your your game and and, and, and feed that hunger, um, you know, as you continue to develop? And again, this is a very small town in South Carolina and uh, a gentleman by the name of Roger Terry. His name is PD and many listeners are going to know this name. He's legendary. A part of the city is named after him and wow. Emmanuel Sullivan. Wow. And so not a lot of resources in terms of funding but very loving, very willing to work uh, with people who wanted it. And mm. I mean, I know for a fact, uh, there are times that we were late in paying for our registration to play <laughs> the sports. And, and uh, in fact, I worked sometimes with him to pay for shoes, wow. um, to pay for a registration. And again, um, so they were welcoming us. Those that were wanting to be a part of a program and hungry, they would do anything they possibly could to ensure that we were able to uh, to play. And the facilities were not very great. 
Mm. And that's the other thing I like about this. It wasn't air conditioned gymnasiums. Mm. It was one gym or a couple of gyms at different elementary schools that we uh, played at. And, and, uh, and we didn't care. We were just hungry. And so right. the support system was, uh, was there for those who, what we called kept their nose clean and mm. was doing the right thing and was respectful people will open their arms and try to do what they can to ensure that uh, we had a chance to participate in a recreational sport. That's awesome. Um, so take us back to the, when a young Steve is playing in the rec department and then things starting to click where, you know, the high school freshman, take us back to those times where, you know, you're starting to get into as a freshman in, in high school, who were kind of some of your rivalries people you had to beat out or just, you know, go against in order to gain to earn those spots coming as a freshman in, um, in high school basketball? Well, I have to say um, one of the things that sort of spearheaded that was summer uh, in middle school. So I did play um, with uh, a coach. He's a le legendary gentleman in the Simpsonville area by the name of Dan Pike. And um, we had an old mill gym that we uh, practiced in for the entire summer. And, his philosophy was you would shoot a medicine ball up against the wall. You would play defense. You would use the backboard on every layup mm. unless you're dunking the ball. You would make two hand passes, catch the ball with two hands, <laughs> and you play both ends of the court. Mm. And so if you didn't do those things, you wouldn't play. Wow. And But the thing that we liked the most about that uh, interaction was we practiced all summer and only played in a couple of AAU tournaments. Mm -hmm. And I say that to stress that we practiced all summer and played in two tournaments. Exactly. Whereas most people exactly. are playing every weekend exactly. and practicing very little, which arguably they might be developing the wrong habits or not allowing themselves time to um, work on those skills development areas. And so, so what happened was Sean Golden, myself, who, by the way, he went on to become Mr. Basketball in South Carolina, and so did I. Everett Sullivan was a parade All-American. Mm -hmm. Al Henderson, Bruce Evans also played. They all, all played Division One basketball. We all came through the same program. And the discipline and the structure was we were going to work on our skill, our craft, and 80% of the time and play 20% of the time. So um, I did that and I got a lot of recognition in this one tournament in Kentucky as a middle schooler. I made the all tournament team with uh, four other gentlemen that were went on to play in the NBA. Mm -hmm. And I didn't get a chance. Well, I didn't have that opportunity to play in the NBA, but my name was amongst Kendrick Warren, Damon um, Bailey, uh, Greg Miner, uh, some of those names. Eric Montrose. I was part of that all tournament team in wow. Penny Hardaway. Wow. Uh, and, you know, so that gave me a lot of confidence. Um, you know, I had a couple big tournaments like that that I did exceptionally well. So now it's it's a matter of going to high school mm -hmm. and, not, you know, it wasn't a matter of me playing ninth grade or, or JV. It was a matter of how much time when I get as a freshman in high school. For sure. And and so uh, so if I had to go back, I'd say the key was, you know, those early habits as as a middle as a elementary school uh, in terms of uh, playing, playing with my uncles and playing in rec and then playing in middle school. But practicing more than playing, having a good, great couple of showings in tournaments. And then, as I know, as a ninth grader, I was the, uh, I was number seven in rotation or the second person off the bench on a high school team that was uh, number four in the nation my sophomore year. And let me drive a point before we continue is that, and just for confirmation, you know, not blowing my own tune, but we do it the right way in our foundation. Well, we have our travel teams, we start practice in February, we don't play a game until like maybe the first, the last weekend in May or first weekend in April. Right. So we learn, and then we only have five tournaments and depending on the level of competition, we're a fifth grade, or, you know, middle school, we stay in state. 
We don't travel all over the world. There's no sense to, to travel to Florida, North Carolina, spending hotel costs, gas money, and then you get beat by 20 and you still haven't developed. If you can get beat by 20, then make sure it's home where you can learn and develop and the parents are not mad at you spending all this money. So again, I want to second that thought. This is, a, this is an old school concept that um, these some of these organizations are not taking, a, taking advantage of how to do it correctly. It's a, it's a placation. It's a vacation playcation for them where they can go and travel and just play games. And the more games, the more money, right? But Correct. the kids are being duped because they're not really developing that way by just playing, 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 playing. So I just wanted to drive that home, um, you know, second you with that. In this time, my message, we got Travis Smith. When I got the Mercer, it was uh... – there were we were five there were 500 just on that line the last three years and so the coach made this pitch to me you know how recruiting is like hey see you can do this this and this and feeling like this and so we had two seven footers we had a point guard that was pretty solid really really solid I shouldn't say pretty solid he was really solid um I was a combo and we just had size for for a mid-major school we had a lot of size and so I filled into a role where I could just be up and and I could play my game smoothly. I could hook guys up when I needed four points when I needed to. So in both of those years, my first year, I probably averaged like nine points right at 10. Then my second year, I was the team leading scorer. And we took down some big time teams, went to the NIT. Now let's get back to the interview. When you're talking about getting your high school in career, we always talk about recruitment because, like you said, uh, our, our interview always start about the support system. Who always there to give you that extra, um, uh, just the extra support in what you want to do. And when we talking about recruiting wars, take us back to high school when you started playing, and then you start getting letters, and and when things started to really make sense. So like, oh, I'm going to do this. I'm going to go here. When does that start? When is Steve has starting to come into his own in high school. Well, I, um, you know, so when I think about the the work ethics that were put in before high school, as I just tried to touch upon in the discipline, um, I have to give a shout out to the coaches and my teachers because um, they all saw me as someone with great potential and they see kids today with great potential, but I think they saw that I had a willingness to learn and grow and develop based off their coaching to me, mm. either a student or an athlete. Mm. And so I want to give a shout out to um, my English teacher, Kathy. Mm. And I was on the honors wing in high school as a ninth grader, being a ninth grader <laughs> <laughs> for other reasons. For and sure. <laughs> she, Kathy, she's maybe five one at best in height, but the most intimidating teacher mm. I've ever had. Mm. She asked me why was I on the wing, and I told her because I was just walking through. And long story short, I ended up being in her honors English class, being the most challenged I'd ever been. I still talk to her to this day. My daughter has met her because she has had just as much influence on my development wow. as an athlete um, because she's a coach. She's a teacher wow. uh, in education. Wow. So I say that because, you know, I have Talmadge Gray, who's my high school coach. And uh, he's also, um, I believe we're distant cousins. And so he also uh, had just a great impact on my uh, basketball development. So I had the best of both worlds, you know, with uh, coaches and teachers that cared dearly about me as an individual, but uh -huh. also challenged me. And whatever they said to me, I didn't question it or doubt it. I tried to do it and implement. Mm. It made me a better writer. It mm. made me a better student. It made me a better basketball player mm. and, and a better citizen. So, um, so so in the game of basketball, you haven't heard me talk a lot about, you know, dribbling and using sure. shot fakes and things of that nature. But, um, you know, I learned to take 
the coaching and, 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 and try to apply the things that they're trying to give me to help me be successful and do them. And it worked exceptionally well for me. For sure. For sure. What, um, why'd you choose Clemson coming out of high school? Well, it's, you know, it's, we went to Clemson basketball camps as, um, wow. Like in middle school, mm-hmm. uh, I believe, you know, so we knew tree Rollins, we knew the name Larry Nance, Right. You know, it, we, we knew the name would go over uh, over to Clemson. Uh, I believe uh, Roger Terry, my uh, recreation department head leader, uh, was a big Clemson fan. So he'd take us over, we watch games. And and so plus it's ACC. Right. It's uh, it's local to me. It's less than an hour from my mother, my father, my parents. I mean, my uh, my grandparents, my uncles my entire family could, right. could drive over to see me play. And, and I want, I had a dream of wanting to um, make, you know, Clemson more than just a football school, but also mm. a competitive basketball program in the ACC. For sure. So that's why I chose Clemson. For sure. Were there any other um, schools that recruiting you at that time or, or, you know, how did you, you know, were there any other schools recruiting you or did you just wanted really just to go to Clemson? So I, I really excelled. I, I got a lot of recognition um, my sophomore year um, in high school. Um, and so my senior year, my junior year, excuse me, I, I started to put, I started to put the, yeah, uh, I started to play the game at a very high level. Well, well Steve, um, one thing you, like, I, I know you humble. I know, you know, it's been a long time since we played, but I'm building up to something because, you know, we don't like to talk about, because, I mean, let's, for the audience, it's been Mr. Basketball two years, right? You spent two years in Mr. Basketball? One year, yeah. One year, one year. One year. But still, that's still, I mean, B.J. Mackey, you know, Kevin Gunn, there's major guys that I want to be Mr. Basketball South Carolina. So my point is I'm trying to get to a point where you dominated the high school level, right? And I'm looking at the stats here, and I'm just trying to get understand about, you know, student athletes, when they pick colleges, they pick colleges based on, you know, what they like or what their comfort is, but not necessarily the coach's style of play or what position they're going to be in. Because if you're a, a, a forward and you're a freshman coming in and they just sign a forward, well, that could be con, that could be a conflict when it comes to playing time and, you know, uh, your performance on the court. So I see that, you know, when you went to Furman, you did a whole 11 point jump from four points to 15 points from freshman as a, from the freshman as a, in the Clemson to your senior year at Furman. So do you think the style of play was, was, was really holding you back or was the maturation um, from you growing from a freshman to a senior? And I say that when you answer this question about kids picking schools and how to pick schools. So kind of just frame that, that situation for me. Well, I, I say it's, again, it's all about, for me, it's all about the culture, the environment and uh, my development as an individual and a basketball player. So, um, so at Clemson, you got the ACC, and again, we've got, you know, I was looking at some old footage and against North Carolina, Duke won a national championship back-to-back my freshman, sophomore year at Clemson. Wow. Wow. And even at Clemson, we had four guys in the NBA, and we were the bottom of the ACC. That is how talented the league was at that time. It's crazy. And, and so just to be on the court competing uh, as a freshman, by the way, I started as a freshman and as a sophomore at Clemson. And, um, you know, so I was progressive. Now, we always try to, we always can look back and say, if you would have, could have, should have, if you For had sure. stayed at Clemson, even my For uncle sure. Willie, he always is like, if you stayed at Clemson, you, you had a chance to be a Greg Buckman. You know, and because I had similar body, body styles, basketball games. Right. Um, but, you know, I made a transition to Furman, which is in Greenville, South Carolina. And the irony of this is that Clemson was very athletically or basketball was very challenging for me because it's the highest level. As you recall, at this time, uh, the ACC was by far the best basketball league to play in. For sure. Um, I, I matched up against Hubert Davis. He's he's a, he's coaching in the uh, <laughs> NCAA championship a right. couple weeks ago. 
right. played together on the court, guarded, guarded each other for a couple of games. And so, um, but I chose to go to farming for a different reason mm. that was other than basketball. Mm. Um, and I guess the, the, the story here is that reason was similar to my high school teacher mm. that said, what am I doing on mm. this wing? Mm. You know, so mm. she challenged me um, from an educational standpoint. And so I left Clemson only because I wanted a different uh, mm. challenge. Uh, basketball was a big challenge for me. It was a, sm- a firm is a small school. They didn't even care that I played basketball. At mm. And so I did go on to uh, make all, you know, all tournament team. I was the uh, co-captain of, of actually at Clemson as a sophomore and then a junior at Furman and a senior at Furman. So my claim is that not only did I do the thing right on the court, but also mm. off the court. And I was a co-captain for three other four years that I played basketball in D1 in college. So that's um, so I, I look back and I say that's that's that made me the more complete person sure, is, sure. is the, the athletic and the academics. For sure. Um, looking back, moving into the afterlife of college, per se, and we'll talk about because um, we talked briefly about the, the jump rope and how that connectivity with. With, with sports and, you know, just people in general. Um, how, ha- how have high school sports and collegiate sports uh, helped you to, to maintain every day, you know, to, 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 to be successful in life for your careers? How have those things you've learned from being on time, you know, the discipline, what are some things that you've learned through sports that help you, that has helped you um, maintain in life? Yeah, number one is, there's no I in the word in the word team. Uh, and what that means is when you sign up to put a jersey, your sneakers on or or anything, or if you, you know, you're a part of a group, an organization. And in order to help the team have the best chance of uh, performing the best or winning, then you have to do more than what is asked of you as an individual. Mm. And I, I, you know, people say they, you know, they want to win. I think most people want to win, but are you carrying more than your share of weight to help the team win? Mm. That was my mentality. Mm. And let me explain that to you a little bit on in, in basketball language. So yes, I put up 26 points. Uh, average uh, almost uh, almost 10 rebounds a game, probably had four or five assists, but also had like three steals. And I, you know, I played both ends of the court. And I wasn't just the shooter, just mm. the rebounder, just mm. the passer, just the defender. I want to play the entire game. Mm. I wanted to give more than what the coaches actually expected of me. Mm. And that was my mentality, because if I could um, do what they asked me to do, but exceed their expectation, then I'm going to be on the court. I'm going to be recognized and I'm going to be one of the top players. Good, good point. Um, so t- talk to us about, you know, two things that we both hit on that agreed on involves development. And, and, and the second thing is, is jump rope. When I'm training my athlete before we start, the first thing we do I have them do 60, 60 each legs where we go 10, 10, 10, 10, just single legs. And then we do a regular level one minute just to get warmed up. And you'd be surprised. It doesn't matter the age. You, you, you can take a 10-year-old kid or a 14-year-old kid. If they never jumped rope before, it's the funniest thing you've ever seen in your life, right? Because it looks like you're going to fall. They just have no coordination, no timing. So I understood that before I started you know, seeing what you do. And I want you to tell the audience about how did you make that connectivity with jump and rope and what it also does for the body and the mind? Real quickly, um, believe it or not, I was a shy kid, you know, in, in, in kindergarten. And I had a teacher that was uh, really passionate about the American Heart Association. So she raised a lot of money for that through jumping, skipping rope. And I did it. People used to laugh at me. You know, they, you can imagine some of the names they call me for, hey, you jump rope. Oh, man, you know, you have the tight shorts and the high socks and you're doing double dutch and, and jumping rope. That's kind of silly. 
Well, that silliness uh, assisted my uh, basketball skills. Mm. Um, you know, I was able to, and, and even now, uh, I'm 6'4", 215, exactly the same height I was in college. Um, and I could dunk almost with both hands still. Wow. So I, I developed that strength and coordination and balance uh, from, from jumping rope. That was incredible. And the other thing that I, I think that goes unrecognized, yes, it's a discipline, but also rhythm mm. is hugely important in everything that we do, mm. not just music. Mm. And what I learned at a very high level, and I still have this, is incredible rhythm. Mm. So my body is sinking. You know, my brain, my head, my shoulders, my arms, my feet, they're all synchronized together. That's why I can skip rope and and start, you know, putting myself off balance, so to speak, off one leg and doing crosses and things of that nature. Uh, so I'm able to move more laterally and vertically. And so the, the, the short of that is I also broke high school records and county records and was third in the state in the high jump. They only jumped in three <laughs> track meets ever. The most important message to get across to student athletes suffering from mental health issues is that you're not alone. Many student athletes deal with depression, anxiety, eating disorders, and other mental health struggles. If this is the case, speak to someone like a counselor, a parent, a trusted adult, or your fellow teammate. Adults who are supporting a student athlete should be aware of the signs. A student athlete who is experiencing mental health difficulties might have constant fatigue, loss of appetite, mood swings, apathy, or even declining grades and or social isolation. A student athlete's mental health can be severely affected by an injury. An athlete's entire life becomes about their sport. And when they lose the ability to play, it can take a huge toll mentally. As we continue to reduce the stigma around mental health, hopefully more middle and high school level student athletes will feel confident discussing their health, whether it be mental or physical. The Triple Threat Podcast will be adding a psychology aspect in season two. We will be doing our part to help destigmatize mental health when it comes to student athletes. So subscribe on your favorite podcast listening platform so you never miss an episode. Now let's get back to the interview. So, um, so I have something here that if anyone is interested in, in knowing about, hey, I, I like to share it with you. And I'm 50 years old and I can skip, I can jump rope like nobody's business. And I, get, I just <laughs> told you I'm 6'4", 215. So it doesn't hurt me if you know how to do it. Um, but also in terms of confidence, um, you know, jumping rope, is the weirdest thing for the brain. It actually improves cognitive function. Mm. So um, if you watch someone who's trying to do a trick or a skill, they can't do it. But then when they get it, mm. it goes from a bit of frustration to a face of incredible satisfaction yes. and feeling. Yes. So it's something about the adrenaline that gives you uh, that feeling when you're 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 bouncing mm. and you're moving your entire body, and that's why I say rhythm. Because last time I checked, when you watch people dance, they aren't frowning; mm. they're smiling. <laughs> so if you're jumping and you're doing something with 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 a little bit of impact, you're like grooving, and and mm. and it's just a wonderful thing. So it's a full body, including the mind workout. That I believe if you're two to eighty two. Uh, there's some things that you can do with a jump rope that can still give you that boost of confidence and cognitive function, balance, stability, and rhythm. And who couldn't benefit for enhanced rhythm and balance? 
And you're right on point. And like I say, with my kids, I, you know, the muscle memory, because they'll go in the first week, they're doing it and they just can't do it. They can't get it. Then by the second week, it's coming. By third or fourth week, they're doing it better than they did the first week. So that connection, that, that connection with the mind, the body, muscle, because you're talking to yourself. You have to be relaxed. You can't jump rope frustrated or rushing, right? You have to, like you said, it's a rhythm. It's a timing, moving that, that body weight and structure. So I, I think it's a great thing. And um, I'll be doing that a little bit more myself as I, you know, continue because it's helpful for my for my kids. But I know personally I can implement it more on, on my end. Um, you may make a good point when you talk about confidence and, and the cognition of athletes. And you talked about you being a shy kid when you were younger. Then you talk about you being hungry and wanting to get on the court. <clears throat> One thing I want to talk to you about is this, you know, a, a, a new stigma it's called mental, we're talking about mental health and student athletes, right? So here's a situation where I want to get your input where you can take yourself, for instance, where when you're hungry, you didn't get the, the, uh, the play a seven-year-old, you played at eighth, eighth grade, but then you, 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 you kept that same drive because you never wanted to be last again. Had you not overcame those things, do you think it would have been a mental breakdown for you personally? And do you think the mental toughness has been kind of taken away from our society because you know back in the days we had something going on the coach said get stick your head go get through it fight through it and those things happen but are we still dealing with that eternally so i just want to get your your, your take on that um since it's now starting to come up this word mental health in student athletes yeah i'm glad you did and so um it was available then it's available now and mental health is going to be in the you know, even more present in the future. But what I think you, you asked that I think is very key is the support system uh, and, and the caring, the love and um, being surrounded by people that care. And, you know, so although my family was, I had the worst piece of chicken <laughs> in the house because <laughs> I was the youngest, which is actually true, um, uh, but they fed me. Um, but also if I wanted to play cards with my uncles and aunts, you know, I had, to, you know, they were not going to allow me to win and they beat me. And I actually cried a few times because I was like, oh, my gosh, you're giving me all the hearts and we're playing, you know, hearts, and, you know. Mm -hmm. And so but they loved me, too, after mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. And I think that's life. We all have things that, you know, are times when things aren't going won't go our way. But who do you go to? Are you able right. to communicate that and show your emotions and then have somebody to care for you and put their arms around you and say, hey, that's OK. You can get it next time. Just keep working on. It. So those are the things that I have. And 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 so that's, you know, I think right now we have a lot of isolation, not only with adolescents, but with people in general. And so when we're isolated, then we don't necessarily feel the love and the care for uh, at times, which could be could play against our psyche. And so uh, it is a challenging environment right now. And and I guess if uh, the one thing that I like to say is like, like talk to people, text people, you know, make sure you're reaching out. And that's both the coach and the coachee, mm. right? To make those touch points on an individual basis instead of a group text or, or an email. I think those things are ginormously important. Uh, even in the workplace, you know, if you want to really get to know the people that work with you, you know, talk to them one on one versus an email that's going to everybody. So I think those things are important. And and again, you know, sometimes the game is not the most important thing, but the mental health and where you are as a person and what's going on with you are, are equally important. And that's what I would advocate in school systems right now. You know, in Minnesota. Uh, I'll just say this real quick. You know, they were striking for several weeks. The kid under, you know, there was a strike. So who were disadvantaged? The kids. Right. You bring them back and then you want to throw a bunch of books and try to catch up on the content. That's not the answer. Right. Mentally, we right. need to make sure they're mentally and physically ready mm. to take on a subject. And so that's why I'm advocating something like um, skipping rope or basketball, a program like that, because they'll do it better when they're engaged and excited and um, it's just proven. So, um, so that's my take on mental health. 
it's um, it's about connecting with the people and trying to understand them because we all are going through challenges and we'll continue to go through them. And it's how we cope with them. That's most important. I, I totally agree. Um, looking at, I'm sure you're looking at the, the NCAA games and looking at um, the pro games as well. What, what are some things you see that athletes, we all know what they're doing well, but what do you think that as a cohesive unit, high school athletes per se, what are they missing? What, what kind of, what are they missing from the, from the game? Well, I can tell you what they have that I missed that I didn't have. I mean, I think they have, they have a lot more uh, accessibility to uh, many types of players, things that you could do, some of the ahas, ooh, mm. wow, did you see that? Uh, but I think those can be distractions too. Mm. Um, and, and the way that I look at this is not just about basketball, I'm sorry, but I look at it from a skill development standpoint. Anytime, anything, any skill that you're wanting to develop, you tell me, is it better to do it fast mm. or to do it slow mm. and gradually work your way up so that you can do it faster? Mm. Mm. Why did I use that example? So we call it the layup versus the three-pointer and that's one of the reasons why I don't coach coach <laughs> is because everyone wants to go to the three-point line right before they make a layup and I watch data I'm, I have an analytical mind and I would challenge any listener that's going that's playing basketball to look at the score box at the end of the game and tell me how mm. many baskets were made from the free throw line inside the paint mm. versus made um, behind the three-point line. And I would guarantee you that the majority of the games won are in the paint, mm. which means score inside closer. High percentage. With a higher percentage, you're giving your team a really good chance to win. That's a, that's a great point. That's a great point. He made a name for himself as a star for the College of Charleston basketball teams in the mid to late 90s. And now, Jermel President is doing what he can to make sure that the Charleston area kids have a chance to succeed on the court and in life. So I want to, you know, give some of that back to the community as well. Um, after college and after playing professionally, uh, I started the Day Foundation just to, to be that wealth of knowledge to the kids in the community and, and parents as well. College of Charleston Hall of Famer Jamel President said he saw a need for this while he was in school. So he founded the nonprofit Day Foundation. And its philosophy for success is based on what he calls his oatmeal recipe. Let's go and finish together. Basically, teaches the game of basketball, focusing on skills, development, nutrition, and education. Not only SAT, ACT type stuff, but education for parents in how to navigate through the different levels of athletics. In closing, we do something called the oatmeal recipe, and you kind of touched based on some of the, the key points already, but I just wanted to, to reiterate on um, the three ingredients is skill development, education, and nutrition. Um, so I want to call out, you know, each one of them, just get your input. You just recently talked about skill development recently, but also, again, I want you to reiterate because these three ingredients not only um, goes with basketball or sports, it goes with careers, occupations, jobs, and that's what I like about a lot of your things you say about, you always stress, hey, yeah, I'm a basketball player. Sports is important, but skill development, academics are just as important. And I, I stress the same things. Um, so excuse me for not, you know, you know, talking about that initially because we're on the same page. And I, I know how that can be, you know, because a quick point before we go, before we conclude is that when I'm walking somewhere, right, and I'm, I'm 47, 48, I forgot how old I am, but but somebody is always talking, hey, man, how was high school basketball? And that kind of gets me a little pissed off because I'm like, bro, that's 20 years ago. Like, I'm a professional. I'm doing things now. So if you're if you're not in tune to what I'm doing right now, then you're not in tune to me. But then I look at it from another, another angle is that where when we were playing and entertaining, that's the view they saw us in, right? That's what made them feel well because how we can put a ball in the hole. But Ultimately, that's not where we're all just all about. So that's why I want just to make sure I get I get it and I try to speak the same thing. So um, talk about skill development, how important it is to you. 
it, it's it's um it's very important. It's it's uh so the way that I look at skill development is if you're not focusing on growing and developing, then you're behind. Number one. And the skill development and growth doesn't come always from your coach or your teacher. Mm. What do I mean by that? So the coach will say, you need to do 100 push-ups, 100 free throws, 100 jump shots, 100 right-hand dribbles, 100. And you only do that, I believe, the best you could be is average. Mm. Because... You're doing what the coach is telling mm-hmm. you or asking you to do, or the teacher is telling you to do and asking you to do. I believe those of us that are above average and exceptional, no, I know mm-hmm. those of us that are above average and exceptional do what the coach, the teacher, our parents ask us to do, and then they've got something that's special mm-hmm. on top of that. Mm-hmm. So, in terms of skill development, I think it's important to understand what you want your brand to be as a basketball player, mm. in addition to what the coaches are, are wanting and asking of you. So for me, it was a complete basketball player. And how did I define complete? Is three steals a game, four assists mm. a game, uh, not you know almost ten rebounds a game to put up twenty six points mm. and played. Their, t- their number one player. That's how I define a complete player. And so, you know, I would ask uh, the listeners out there, just if you want to be exceptional, you have to do what the coach is asking you to do, but you've got to do a lot more than that to be right. exceptional, which means, you know, if they want you to run uh, 15, you know, gut sprints, you need to say, I'm running 20 in my mind, or I'm right. going to run 20. Because if you don't, you're just average. Because everybody else on your team are going to run 15. Right. And you want to so, be exceptional, do exceptional things, right? That's um, it. Edu- that's it. Education. We talk about education. How important is education to you? And right quick, when you talk from a basketball standpoint, what I hate to see, if you got 17 fouls on the, on the board, and then, like you say, the player is jacking up the three-pointers, three-point shot. Well, why don't you drive to get to the line and make your, make your money at the free throw line? It's just different education when it comes to that, but it still can go to the career-wise too. How important is education to you, and how do you apply it? Hey, well, okay, so that's a great that's a great example. So, as a coach, uh, are we coaching towards the analytics mm. uh, to help kids understand more of the game of basketball? Right. You know what? The funniest thing, and, and and I say this. So, like in in math and geometry, do we know what the block is for on the court? The mm. big block the next to the where you stand for free throws. Do we know what that's for? Mm. Ask a player that. I don't, and even, say, know. I don't even know. Well, that. the, here's a that's where you stand to get ready for the free throw line. But oh, here's I thought you meant I, yeah, I knew that. I thought you meant like this. Got you, got you. But no, here, that's what most people would say. But I would say that's where when I post up and I straddle that block, mm. I have an angle of attack to the backboard where I'm gonna be 80, 90% good on. You're giving me chills, Steve. You know why? Because when, when I'm training, I teach my kids to drive inside of the block. Because if you go outside the block, you end up on the outside of the board. Yes. You drive inside of the block, even if you get fouled or pushed or hit, you end up in the middle of the block, we still got an angle to the basket. It's awesome. It's awesome. Yeah. I'm going to say this one because this is my best one, right? So people used to think that I had a very, very fast first step. And what I did have, and my uncle taught me this, you know, I had a step that attacked your Mm. leg, your hip. So it looked like I was extremely fast, but it's something about physics that you can't go anywhere when I'm next to you. Mm. You can only go one place, and that's the mm. other direction. Mm. And, and the same thing with the shot mm. fake. Mm. Same thing with the shot fake. People think a shot fake is to get people to come off their feet. A shot fake isn't designed to get someone to jump. If they jump, that's fine. If they don't jump, 
I can tell you this, if they freeze, that's just as dangerous. Mm -hmm. You learn those things, you watch the NBA players. You you know, you watch the most skilled developed uh, basketball player. They're using uh, pace, rhythm, head fakes, ball fakes, shot fakes, not to get you off your feet, but to freeze you. Mm. If you raise up, last time I checked, you can't move if right. you raise up. <laughs> so, so this this is biomechanics, right? This. And so understanding that there's a reason why we have that that basketball, the size that it is, the rim, the backboard, the the markings on the floor. You know, Michael Jordan did it the best. He went to certain spots on the mm. floor. <laughs> And, 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 and Steve, right before we went to the last one, nutrition, I want to just add something. When I'm teaching players again, but the mean and mode, all right, the mean is the average of three or more measurements, right? The height of the shot, the speed of the shot, and the length of the shot. So to make a layup by being mean average of two, as you move further back, a free throw might be a mean of 12, right? So mm -hmm. you get first, it's the first quarter. And the athletes, they bounce when they shoot the free throw. Well, you might get a mean of 14 because you're full of energy. In the fourth quarter, you do the same thing. You might get a mean of 10 because you got less energy. But if you keep the mean the same, and that's why I don't like, well, shoot, bend your leg, bend your knees. I yell, change your mean, adjust your mean. Because if you bend your legs, depending on your energy level, it can throw your whole shot off. So, yes. so analytic, analytical things is very important when it comes to teaching. And that's why I'm, I'm, I'm happy to talk to someone like you that really get it and not really relying on athleticism so much. The last thing is nutrition. You were going to say something? Yeah, I was going to say the one thing. This goes back to the mental thing. Um, and I asked, uh, I had a second cousin who was playing basketball in high school. And I said, he's a jump, he's, he's a, he's a jump, jump shooter, spot up shooter, whatever. And I said, how, how many points are you going to put in tonight or the next game? He said, uh, uh, you know, and I said, that's not good enough. Mm. You know, so we're practicing, we're working on our, our craft, but what is our mental approach to that performance? Mm. And I shared with him, I knew when I was going to get my steals in the game before the game. Mm. It was because mm. I was playing those scenarios like you know they're gonna think i'm not you know on help side and i'm gonna you know look that direction they're gonna throw that pass out there and i'm gonna tap it with my left hand and i know what dunk i'm gonna do on the other end mm -hmm. that's another mental approach mental approach that i don't know that kids are using but i question them say okay if this is your shot how are you gonna get your shot mm -hmm. what are you gonna do to set that up to get those shots that you are, you know, 80% good on in practice, you know? So anyway, that's the, that, that's another mental piece. I think that's, that's a great uh, piece. And, and, and to, and make, to make that piece successful, you got to know the plays of your opponent and just as well as your team in order to make those things happen. Back the, last to things, the last thing is nutrition. Um, what I hate to see most is these, these travel tournaments, AAU tournaments, kids are eating McDonald's and Skittles and sodas. I think more direction need to come from the organization of having pregame meals or having snacks that's, you know, energy fuel for these athletes. Um, what's your take on that? I think it's so, it, it is, man, it is most important, you know. So number one is it's a body. And so you could be, and all, everybody is athletic. Everybody has this talent now, right? And so uh, what, you know, what I like to sh showcase is that the more that you can, you're training your body, right? You're practicing on the skills of development, but also you need to watch what you're putting inside of your body. Um, you know, and is it is it food with, with high in, in, in sugar? You know, do we need more carbs? You need more carbs and, and, and proteins um, when you're in between games. So you're, it helps to repair your muscles. Um, you need to drink a lot of fluid. Uh, and so soda's high in sugar. It's false energy. You're gonna crash. Right. And so you might cramp. You know, it's it's very, very, very important. Because if you really think about it, if you're gonna spend all this effort and time into that sport from a uh, learning standpoint, and then you're practicing, and then you go out and put something in it that goes against that, that's not being efficient. Mm. 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 And there are some stories out there. I want to give a shout out to Ray Allen. 
who I've never met in person, but I, I've read his story. Like he didn't eat, uh, I think a burger or something or for, for the longest time ever. Mm. Uh, but he, he was serious about his body, right? right? right. And so there's certain, there are a lot of people out there that are, that are kind of started to talk about that. And, and I challenge you, like, you know, have the discipline or getting something that's healthier and it's not necessarily um, that much more expensive. So right. uh, it, it'll, it'll serve your body well. So, and I've been in the healthcare arena for, uh, for, for many, many, many years. And so um, it's, it's just, you know, you, you can't play if you're not healthy. Right. All right, that, that concludes our interview, but as I, I gotta ask you this question um, and touch base on it, just because I, I love your, your 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 take on the game. I was talking to Danny Johnson, who's played at Clemson, he transferred to College Charleston, but what he made a good point about the European game that's transitioning into our game right now, right? And you made some good points about, and he talked about the game being positionless. So if athletes would adhere to what we're talking about and how to uh, attack the game, you have to worry about being in position no more because you're going to be, you're going to be a player per se. What do you do? What do you take before you go? Just give me your take on what do you think about a European game infiltrating the U.S. Uh, style of play? Well, the first thing is back to some of the comments or things we were talking about is they practice eighty mm. percent of the time mm. and they play twenty percent. That's it. That's in it. addition to that, <laughs> from a culture standpoint because I lived over there and I played a couple years, right? So they don't have, uh, in Germany, if you drove uh, a BMW and ate in your car, that was like mm. driving under the influence here, mm. okay? So they don't have uh, drive-throughs for food, that you walk up and grab food in Europe. At least that's when it, how it was when I was there. So. Their culture was a, it was more around health, being healthier, you know. And so ours is more around that quick satisfaction. Right. And you couldn't go to the drive-through, you know. You can go to one drive-through if it's backed up, you just go to another one. Right. It could be the totally different drive-through uh, restaurant, but you just go to another one because it's it's quick and it's convenient. And things that are quick and, and convenient aren't always. In fact, most of the time they're not the best for us. If you got a BMW, you shouldn't be driving, eating fast food anyway. That is my opinion. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> you got, you, putting, go. you got a $100,000 car, you putting $5 in your body, doesn't make sense to me. But yeah. this is my take. Yeah, and hydrating. And, 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 and so those things are very important. And resting. And that's the other thing. And so as a coach and as a player, now you, you got to look at them. Say, look, they're not, they're not machines. They're, yeah. they're athletes, right? Yeah. And so you need rest you got to figure out how to get your rest as a player on the court when the mm. when the spike when the kind of you got to you got to know your body and your pace and 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 that's i think that's what the professionals do exceptionally well they know how to play 94 feet right and they know how to move they don't waste energy they're right. efficient with it and they're taking care and most of them are taking care of their bodies and they're developing and, and learning the game more and more as they mature in that sport so i i think that's what i think um the the i'm gonna call the international uh mm. players are doing they're studying the game more mm. and performing less and i would say their skill development is 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 quite impressive because of that yes. yeah yes well steve i thank you for your time big guy i we, I, I think we can talk all day but i know you gotta get going and i I, again, I thank you for giving us your wealth of knowledge on uh, on on this on this concept. Thank you for the opportunity. God bless you, uh, your family, and and I, what you're doing is uh, incredible work. And uh, I hope any listener, there's something that you could take away from that uh, to help you in your journey, uh, whether it's in basketball or basketball and uh, education. And uh, I really appreciate this opportunity, man. It's great to see you. Yes, sir. You too, big guy. We have All a right. good, have a rest of your good day. All right. Be All well. Right. Peace. So there it goes, guys. Another one in the books. Uh, I want to thank Steve for coming on and giving us his wealth of knowledge of uh, his trials and errors, 
um, becoming a student athlete and the successes in life. Um, Mr. Harris has now uh, created Jump Fit, a type of exercise program that helps athletes, not only athletes, but professionals, career, um, people that just want to stay active. It's a very, very interesting concept. So you um, need to check it out. Don't forget to subscribe to the Triple Threat Podcast on your favorite listening platform. We are live on Apple, Google, Spotify, or anywhere else you listen to your podcast. That's Triple Threat spelled three R I P L E three H R E A T. Triple Threat Podcast. We'll be right back. What Jermel is doing with Today Foundation and the approach he's taking to help develop young athletes, first of all, getting them prepared from the academic standpoint, which, as you know as well as I do, Bobby, that's the most important element to try to get them to eat healthy, to be able to train properly, to get the proper education, and then hopefully for those who are talented enough to have a chance to move on to perhaps even get a free education by going off to college. But I love what Jermel is doing. It's a wonderful program. Hopefully more people in the community will get behind it and some of the businesses involved as well to help sponsor this program. Because these are the kind of things that every community needs. Looking out for the best interest of a youth. The future of this country is in our youth. And everything that we can do to help prepare them better for that is absolutely wonderful. And, and I can't express adequately enough my admiration and respect for what Jermel is doing and hopefully he'll get a lot of help from a lot of people. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Jamel President and on Twitter at President Jamel. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast as I'll be bringing you a new interview every month.